0: book of Obadiah, beginning with verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If these came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape-gatherers came to you, would they not leave their gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to the border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom, and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim, the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Sephiroth, shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's.
1: Well, now you've read Obadiah, and you also know how to spell it, because if you were looking on your phone to try to follow along. You had to spell it right in the search. But now we know that it's in the Minor Prophets. It's the shortest book in the Old Testament, and we know how to spell it. So there's a couple things that we've already learned, and we're gonna learn some more this morning. We're spending our time together in these Minor Prophets, and the the question would, would be why. The question that we have is what, why, why spend that time there? Aren't we in this... Um, it, in this New Testament covenant under Jesus? Why do we need to go back? Well, we go back and we look, because the story of God is a story that's told from the very beginning all the way through to the end. So we need to know the whole story. We need to know where all of these things fit into that grand story of God. We need to be able to see God in both his mercy and his salvation and in his judgment. And so we're looking at the minor prophets, and many of them are coming with a word of judgment. And they come with that word usually to Israel, to God's people. But Obadiah is unique in that it's coming as a word to Edom. And, and so we're gonna find out what does that mean and why would, why would Edom need to be judged by the Lord. And so I pray that we would we'd understand some of that this morning. And as we understand that, that it points to this larger picture. We have the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God to be able to fit this smaller story into the bigger story of who Jesus is. So I pray that it would point us to Jesus even as we're in the midst of Obadiah this morning. This morning, it's a, it, it's a story similar to last week when we were in Hosea, where it's a story of a narrative that's being played out in this prophetic call, this prophetic judgment. And so the story that we're gonna have today is a story of brothers. And so if you're like me, Maybe that excites you, or maybe it actually makes you a little fearful because you know how you've treated your brothers. Um, it's good to have all the kids with us today for this story. It's what a sweet time. So one of the ways that I'm qualified to tell this, to 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 preach this story this morning is that I have two younger brothers, um, and then I also have a house full of children. So I'm intimately familiar with siblings sibling rivalry, and how that plays out. And it is a mess. It's a mess. It still is. Like, even at, even at 40, you know, trying to interact with my brothers and, and still all of us trying to kind of place ourselves in this pecking order. And I, the pecking order for me is always birth order. But as we're gonna see in our story this morning, that is not God's pecking order, okay? So we're gonna look at that and we're gonna see the story. And yeah, the, Obadiah is coming in his pronouncement on Edom is, is their pride. But there's a couple other things that are these undertones that are here. And we need to be able to see what this is because it's pride, but it's also a dissatisfaction with the situation that they've been given. It's a resentment toward God. And so maybe this morning we've, we kind of, I've already made light of sibling rivalry, but, but underneath that, there's a dissatisfaction that I'm not where I'm supposed to be, that I don't have what I deserve. And I can blame other people with, with that, but I can also go and I can take those resentments and that dissatisfaction to God, and I can put it on him. And that's a, that's a place of arrogance and pride in my heart. And we're gonna see that in the book of Obadiah this morning. But to see it, we need help. So I know we've prayed a lot, but I'm gonna pray again because we need this miraculous work of the Spirit to open our eyes to see ourselves as the bad guys because we always see ourselves as the good guys. But there's only one good guy in this story. It's God himself, and he sent his son as the hero, and so we get to rejoice in that today, and we get to do some work with our own hearts saying, man, God, I... I wanna be like you. I wanna be the brother that you've called me to be, not the brother that naturally rises up in me, the sinful, arrogant one. I wanna be the humble one, the one that goes after and looks out for the brothers and sisters that I have. So let's ask God to do that in us this morning. Lord, you're so gracious and kind. And we know that. We forget it, and you remind us again. So Lord, I just thank you so much for your faithfulness, to us, even when we are unfaithful to you. God, I pray that today we would see that you pronouncing judgment is a good thing. That you showing us the error of our ways is a good thing. That you have been clear by saying that we do not meet the standard and then you sent your son to, to meet the standard for us. So Lord, do what only you can do. Open our eyes and our ears. May we see you and behold you today and may it stir in us worship for a holy God, a just God, a God who is powerful and wise and mighty, a God who is good. We ask all this in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to, I know it took you a little while to find Obadiah, but I want you to put your finger in Obadiah and hold it there, and we're gonna go back to Genesis. Because to understand the story of Obadiah, you have to understand the story of two brothers, Jacob and Esau. So Genesis verse, or chapter 25, starting in verse 19, we're gonna read together. Because this pronouncement against Edom that we read in Obadiah is a, is a pronouncement against a people group. And that people group descended from Esau, who is a brother in this story. Judah and Israel is the family of Jacob, the people group of Jacob, and Edom is the family and people group of Esau. So let's read in Genesis 25, verses 19 through 28. It says, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. And one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, and Rebekah loved Jacob. So right here, the very beginning, in the womb, these brothers are not getting along. She's, she says, there's something going on here. I need to go and ask God, what is going on? Because this is crazy. And then God tells her, listen, there's two nations in your womb, two peoples from, which, from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. And so right at the beginning of their story, Jacob and Esau have a sibling rivalry that's going on. As he come out of the womb, Esau coming first, he's the older one, Jacob right behind him, grabbing onto his heel. So that's the beginning of the story. And it's unique. And it's, it's awesome. Like just the fact that, that she would recognize that this thing's going on in her, that she would go to God and ask him, and God spells out very clearly what's going on. He's so kind. He didn't need to do that, but he did. For Rebecca, but in the beginning, you begin to see that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. And so now there's we're gonna we're gonna roll through the story some. But I, I would encourage you this week, like as you're processing this, as you're thinking about like God in his righteousness, God in his sovereignty, God in the way that he works things out. Go back and read chapter 25, 26, and 27 again. Look at the story played out. There's a, a very real we, we say doctrine, but it's a teaching and it's a, it's a foundational thing that says that God is sovereign and in control. And so he gets to write this story however he deems it's good. And I have good news. He's the only one who knows what good is. So how he writes it, it is good. But as we're gonna see, Jacob and Esau have some complaints against the story. Jacob begins his complaint first, and so he tries to usurp Esau by taking his birthright as the younger brother, which he should not get the birthright. But he has a, he has a problem with the way that God organized and set things up. And so he deviously and he, he uh, deviously deceives his father, lies to his father, so that he can get the birthright that should have been Esau's. And yet God's gonna use the line of Jacob. So if you think, quick side note, if you think God is using you because you're good, <laughs> we're wrong. God uses us because he's faithful. God uses us because he's made promises and he's gonna see those promises come through. Now, we get, to, we get to participate in what he's doing. That's a privilege that we have as a people of God. So we're gonna wrestle with this idea of God being sovereign throughout this story. And what we're gonna see is that Esau had a problem with the way that this story played out. Isaac blesses Jacob. Jacob came and he, he deceives his father, puts hair on his chest because he wasn't hairy and Esau was. He makes his father whatever Esau would make for his father and deceives his father because his father can't see. He's going blind, and, and so now Jacob gets the birthright from his father by deception. So turn to, ver- to chapter 27. In chapter 27, verse 27, so he came near and, sorry, 26, then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, And this is the blessing that he gives him See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Wow, what a gift that Isaac gives there. It's, it's the blessing that should go to the firstborn, and yet Jacob has deceived his father into giving him the blessing. Verse 30 As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out of the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He had also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Esau and Isaac begin to realize what's taking place. And at the end, Esau asks Isaac, if, if, is there any other blessing that you could give? Because Isaac can't take back the blessing that he's given Jacob. And so Isaac blesses Esau in 39. Then Isaac, his father, answered him and said to him, behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. 41, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. These guys don't get along. From the very beginning, they didn't get along. And, and yet, they're brothers. And so as we move back to Obadiah, we read it in light of this story. If Edom is this national representation of Esau, and Israel is this national representation of Jacob, much like we saw in Hosea, where the, um, Hosea represented the faithful God, and Gomer represented a, an adulterous people, idolatrous people. We have this same story that's being projected on a national level. And so we read in Obadiah the vision of Obadiah. That's really all we know about Obadiah. Obadiah's, there's, there's, at least 12 Obadiahs in the Bible, none of whom are tied to this Obadiah, which makes it very tough to understand who he is. It's also tough to place a timeline, so there's about 400 years where the story of Obadiah could have been written, and there's varying degrees um, of surety of each of those times, whether it was before the exile, during the exile, or after they had come back, after the Israelites had come back from exile. So not much is known about Obadiah. So we don't need to know that. What we need to see is what does God say through Obadiah? Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Edom, the people of Esau. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise up against her for battle. The declaration of Obadiah is judgment against Edom that she's going to be destroyed by these other nations that are going to rise up and destroy her. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down from the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagles, Though your nest is set among the stars from there, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. We have this I, this place where Edom is, and it 's built on these rocks and in, in the cliffs, and so their pride is in their ability to defend themselves from that position. God had sent them to this place deuteronomy two one through or two through six says this. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea, as the Lord told me, and for many days we traveled around Mount Seir. Then the Lord said to me, you have been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward and command the people. You are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. Do not contend with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as for the sole of the foot you tread on, because I have given Mount Sarah to Esau as a possession. You shall purchase food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. How kind is God that he would give the people of Esau a possession and a land. And even as he talks to his his people Israel, he tells them, you're not getting any of that land, that is theirs. You can go through it, But it's theirs, I've given it to them. This area around Mount Seir. The gift of God to the people of Edom. But here's what we see in, in Obadiah. We see that the people of Edom have mistreated Israel. And one of the places where many scholars think that that mistreatment happened is as they were marching through in this Deuteronomy 2, but there were other places where, they would have, where the people of God would move through the land of Edom, and sometimes they were violently attacked, and sometimes they just weren't helped. And we're gonna see that in Obadiah. So the, the judgment is against Edom. If you'll jump down, they, they have the pride in their cliffs and in, in their fortresses, but they also have a pride in their own strength and understanding. Verse 7 says, all your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set up a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Verses 8 and 9, will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Eden? An understanding out of Mount Esau, that your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Obadiah is calling Edom and he's saying, listen, you can't put your trust in your fortifications. You can't put your trust in your wise men. You can't put your trust in your mighty men because there's no one wiser than God. There's no one mightier than God. And if God is coming with judgment, there's no place for you to hide. Why? Why is God coming with all of this? Like Why is he judging Edom in this way? Well, we see that in verses 10 through 14. It says, Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune, do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads and cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Why are they being judged? Well, there's several things in this list. The first one is that they've been violent against Against God's people. Violence you've done violence against your brother Jacob. And that one we're quick to say, yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, you can't you can't be violent against the people of God. You can't take up arms against them. You can't harass them and abuse them. That's wrong. But look look at this next verse in verse eleven. On the day that you stood aloof. There's something in us that says we can be neutral. It can be okay. As long as I don't participate in the actual destruction that's happening, in the actual violence that's happening, I can stand off to the side and it'll be okay. God is indicting the people of Edom because they stood aloof, because they were passive, because they were apathetic to God's people. Listen, as we sit under judgment together, this one's gonna be all-encompassing. I think about siblings, and I think about um, the, the judgment that I have when my children disobey, and they're quick to say, I didn't do it. Yeah, but sometimes you just didn't stop it. Like, sometimes you had the power to do something about it, and you didn't. You, you withheld goodness You withheld protection. You withheld strength that you have that you could have stepped in and saved. But instead, you stood aloof and you were passive. And then you gloated over the day of your brother. I had to look up gloat. Like, what is that? I knew what it meant, but I was like, where does that come from? And Why is that used so many times in this passage? There's some people that think that it comes from the old Norse word that means to grin, and then I had a picture of one of my kids who is a little devious, and she's kind of always, man, I just gave it away. It could be one of three. Um, but she's a little devious, and she kind of manipulates situations, and then when when dad comes down and kind of starts begin to begin judgment, she just grins. And listen, the, the same grace is available for her, so I'm thankful for that, and she's going to you know i'm praying she's going to walk in that but there is a a reality that sometimes we we look at others misfortune and it just makes us feel better about ourselves and and the indictment is over and over against their gloating and their boasting that they just kind of kind of heap on kind of pile on at the end it was really the Assyrians and the Babylonians who came in and destroyed God's people and, and sent them into exile, but Edom took advantage of that. And they stole extra treasures, or they would go in and get the scraps that those big nations would leave. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. 13, do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Listen, there's, there's something to this. There's gonna be a distress for the people of God. And, and all we have a lot of other minor prophets. This book of the 12, we're on number two. And I know we're going out of order and I appreciate your patience with us in that. It's okay. But what we're gonna see is this proclamation by these other minor prophets to the people of God. That there's gonna be a judgment against them. That they're going to be taken away, that they're going to be in exile, that they're going to lose the possession that that God had given them because of their disobedience, their lack of faithful obedience, trusting in a God who saves. And so in their day of calamity, which is going to happen, the judgment against Edom is that they would gloat over them, that they would not invite the fugitives in, that they would stand at the crossroads and that they would hand over the survivors to these other nations. So that's why this judgment is being pronounced on Edom. But we have the promise of the day of the Lord. Verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. This proclamation over Edom is not only in Obadiah. Jeremiah picks up the proclamation in Jeremiah 49. He said, I've heard the message from the Lord as an envoy has been sent among the nations. Gather yourselves together and come against her and rise up for battle. For behold, I will make you small among the nations, despised among mankind, The horror you inspire has deceived you, and the pride of your heart, you who live in the clefts of the rock, who hold the height of the hill, though you make your nest as high as the eagles, I will bring you down from there, declares the Lord. The day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. God, who is sovereign and in control of all, is the only one who can judge, and he will judge all of us. This particular judgment is for Edom, but there is a judgment that's coming for all of us. And the the Lord is upholding his righteous standard. And his righteous standard is just not, not doing violence against other people. His righteous standard is going to those in need. His righteous standard is being a light as as the people of Israel were called to be a holy priesthood, an example to those around them of what it looks like to follow God and to worship him, it also looks like going to those that are broken, that are hurting, that are being taken advantage of. And if you don't have the ability to change the situation, we do have the ability to sit and be with people. We do have the ability to empathetically rest with them to remind them of the good news of Christ, to remind them that that this world is is not the end of it. We have a hope that they may not have, but are we going to them with that hope or are we just standing aloof? Are we boasting in our hope? Well, I'm gonna go to heaven and it's gonna be super great. Or are we going to them with that knowledge? And listen, I'm I'm not heaping condemnation on us. Because as we're gonna see, we have a brother who has done that for us. And we get to walk in his righteousness today, but we need to sit under the judgment for a minute. And it's okay. When we talk about the prayer of confession every week, our confession is that we are not good. And we... We say, listen, we're going we're gonna to confess three things. God is good, we are not, and Jesus has reconciled those two things. But if we don't sit under the first two for a really good amount of time, we quickly lose sight of it and we cheapen what grace is. The reality is that we need a savior, desperately. We stand aloof, we do violence, we, we boast and we gloat and we do all of those things that siblings do and we think that it's okay because it's kind of cute, and it's not that big of a deal, and yet Jesus has said, it's such a big deal that I'm gonna bring judgment and punishment and destroy a nation for it. Do we see sin like that? Or do we just see it as, I mean, that just happens. They're just they're brothers, no big deal. And so we need to, to rest there, sit there, meditate on God's word, Hear his judgment. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Outside of Christ, we're gonna reap what we sow. What we've done is gonna be done to us. Our deeds are gonna return on our own head. That's not a good place to be. And yet it is what God says, that we will have judgment, that he is going to come and judge judge all of humanity. And then we see that he's gonna use the house of Jacob and the house of Joseph as part of that judgment. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, verse 18, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau will be stubble. They shall burn them and consume them and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken. From our perspective, 3,000 years later or so after this was written, we can actually see that and look back and say, yeah, that, that actually happened. Edom was destroyed. And so this judgment is real. But the promise, the hope that we have is that there is a kingdom of the Lord. That the the promise of possessions and lands that Israel would have, we have. We have the promise of a God who gives and is generous and kind. A God who saves. Verse 19, those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria and Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zapheth. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Shep- Shepharad Shephard, shall possess the cities of the Negev. Verse 21, Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. We began talking about the sovereign king, The God who gets to write the story and and we may be in a position of either the older brother or the younger brother and say, that's not fair, that's not right. And yet if he's king and if he's good and if he's all powerful and in control, then we need to rest and sit there and say, God, you are right. You are sovereign. I trust you. I love you. Even when I can't see how this is good, I'm going to sit and remind myself and and rest in the promise that you are good, and that one day you're going to go up to Mount Zion, and you're going to rule over Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's, because that's the kingdom I want to be in. That's the kingdom I want to rest in. What does that kingdom look like? That's That's what we're asking today. Like, we know what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like gloating and boasting, and it doesn't look like... Taking advantage of people or standing aloof or doing violence against one another, what does that kingdom look like? Well, the good news is, if, if you've been with us any amount of time, you've seen what it looks like in the Gospel of Mark. You've seen the way that Jesus goes to the broken and the hurting and the outcast, and he brings them in with this incredible compassion and love. That's the kingdom of God. That's his proclamation at the beginning of Mark, that the, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's our hope. That's what we long for. I think one of the ways that it looks, that it looks beautiful in the Old Testament is, is we were in Psalm 133, maybe two years ago. Psalm 133 says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. That's that's the beauty of unity. We have two brothers that hate each other, that are deceiving and working toward their own ends and really using one another. And so there's disunity, but what the promise is, what the hope is, is a unity of brothers who have been united by God. How does that happen? That happens through the gospel. Because, you see, there's there's this high standard of love that you and I fail at. There's this high standard of, of not standing aloof that we fail at. That there's a high standard of going and reconciling and going to the broken and the, and the used and the taken advantage of and, and drawing them back. And there's only one who's done it well and he's done it perfectly. And that's our brother, our older brother Jesus. As he walks in faithful obedience to the plan of God, he redeems us and brings us into unity to himself first and then to each other. And then because he puts his righteousness in us, we get to go and we get to walk in righteousness. What does that look like? Romans 12. It's this beautiful passage that really is like the flip-flop of what we're reading in Obadiah. Romans 12 Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by, doing so, by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That doesn't look like violence. It doesn't look like just standing back and letting nature take its course. That doesn't look like gloating or boasting. That looks like humility being played out in the lives of the believer who trusts in Jesus. Bless those who persecute you. There's no way that you and I can do that in and of ourselves, but Jesus did. Jesus went to the cross to bless those who were in the process of cursing him and killing him and putting him there. Jesus loved sinners while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Listen, we didn't get it right and then we come to Christ. While we were putting him on that cross, he died for us. Why? So that he could show us what love is. So that he could love sinners like you and I, so that we can be grafted and brought into the kingdom, the kingdom of the Lord, the kingdom that shall be the Lord's. All because of the work of the king. And if you and I would claim Christ today and we would say, I'm part of that kingdom, then by grace we begin to walk in these things bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Listen, that kind of reconciliation between brothers. And that story is an old story. It didn't start with Jacob and Esau. If you remember Cain and Abel, their relationship was not good either. And yet God is doing this thing where he's restoring what is broken. The first restoration is us as sinners to a holy God done by his son who paid the way, drank the cup, of wrath that you and I deserve, the judgment that we deserve, Jesus took it upon himself. Separated from the Father. Died on a cross for your sake and my sake. But it doesn't just end there. It's not just that he took the penalty, but he's also given us his righteousness. So today, if you're in Christ, The beauty is that like all of these things, blessing for those who persecute you, bless and not cursing them, you get to walk in that today. Not out of your own strength, but out of the Spirit of God that dwells inside of you. We get to have thousands of years of brokenness healed and mended because of Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're even thinking about somebody that you know that, hey, that our relationship is broken. God is powerful to save, and he is still saving and reconciling and mending. And I pray that today that the Spirit would do something in you that you would believe, God, you can heal even that. You long to restore even that relationship. And you can because you've restored my relationship to you and I know I'm broken and I'm a mess and I'm a sinner and yet your blood has covered me. Your grace is sufficient. But it's only out of that understanding that we would go and try to reconcile, that we would go and look for the broken and the hurting. Otherwise, we're gonna be really content to just be okay with Jesus and, and the gospel was not even really all that necessary. But if we sit under the judgment for a little while and realize, man, I, I need a savior. God, you've saved me? Who am I that you would love me so much? And now you love me and you've saved me and you're sending me and you're saying, hey, now go and bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Like that's, the, that's what the church is called to do. He saved us, not so that we could sit comfortably and be okay, he saved us so that we can go. He saved us so that we can go and share this good news with others who are broken and hurting and feel like they can't measure up to the standard of God. Good news, you can't and neither could I, but Jesus did. And he's made a way for us to be reconciled to him and to each other. This is the, the good news of the kingdom of the Lord that there's a finality of what God is doing, that he's establishing his kingdom. And we see portions of it, but one day we're gonna see it fully. And on that day, we're gonna rejoice. And that's our hope, is that we will see Jesus face to face. We'll realize how we have been totally forgiven and reconciled to him, and then we've been reconciled to each other. So the call today is to repent. Repent. Where have you tried and strived to do this of yourself? Or where have you just been content with being a bystander? I'm not actually doing anything bad, so it's it's not that big of a deal. Maybe kids, where have you actually seen this play out in your relationships with, with your brothers and sisters? And as soon as we say that to the kids, we say that to us. Where have we just stood by? Where have we not taken the good news that we have a God who reconciles and saves and restores? So we need to repent of those things. We need to repent of our own pride, of our arrogance, of relying on on our fortresses or on our wisdom or on our power to change. We need to rest in a God who is powerful and wise then we need to believe that what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient for all of this. Now it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be a wrestle, but we get to do that together. Like We don't have to do that on an island by ourselves. We get to have that reminded to us every day by people who love us and want us to know Jesus. And we have his word that tells us over and over how much he loves us, how priceless we are. so we need to repent and believe, and then we need to go. Like, what does faith look like? It looks like obedience. Faith-filled obedience to go to the broken, to leverage our lives, that others would know this good news. And so I pray that all of that happens today. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you We thank you that you have a kingdom that is the Lord's. That in that kingdom you are king. You are good. You are sovereign. You are in control. You've established that kingdom through your son, but we've also seen how you have established a people for yourself. Even in Obadiah, Lord. And how you've pronounced judgment. Against the people who would live in their own strength, resting in their own might and their own ability to save themselves, but you would pronounce judgment. My God, and we thank you for Jesus, the one who saves, the one who took the judgment that we deserve, like Edom, we deserve to be destroyed. We deserve death, and yet you drank the cup of wrath, the death that we, that we deserve. You died for us. God, you are so kind and so good to us. And yet, you, you open our eyes to see that, not so that we can sit and be comfortable and, and just um, rest in that, but so that we can go with that good news. To a dying world that needs to hear it. To a household that that needs to be reminded constantly of the grace of Jesus Christ. To a neighborhood where people are chasing after so many other things and trying to build their own kingdoms and yet they need to know that the kingdom is the Lord's. God, and there's people that have never heard, never, ever heard that there is a God, that he loves them so much that he sent his son Jesus. So Lord, I pray that we would go with that mission to be the church, to worship God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. to have that unity that you speak of, that promised hope, because of Jesus. So we thank you for that this morning. We trust you and love you in Jesus' name, amen.